Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. And we are diving into a critical topic. And that's this. How do we lead? How do we show up in a way when those stakes are like mission critical, the outcomes that we need to get there? It's kind of maybe the relationships, the situations that we're in. But you guys know what I mean, man, those high stakes, conversations, decisions, situational leadership areas. And I think especially today, um, the world that we live in is changing and it's changing faster than I think at any other time. And it continues to change. So even things that worked for us in the past, we're trying to apply them right now. And we're like, hey, I'm not getting the results. And so I asked a good friend of mine, John Lockhorse, to join us to have a conversation exactly about this topic, how to do it. John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. It's great to be with you. Looking forward to the conversation. You know, John and I met back when you were in a job and you had this calling, and this is maybe something we could dig into because I think there's probably a lot of people that can also relate to this. You're sitting here, you're doing the Lord's work, right? You're doing great stuff, but you start to feel this discontent build. And this is not like the smoldering negative discontent. Like I had people, if you've all, you know, before my accident, this is like, you know what? It feels like I'm moving into a change of seasons. Is that, would that be fair, John? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And uh, so our paths crossed right in the midst of that. I, I was thinking about it and it was, uh, it was about six years ago right now. It was in the summer of 2015. And uh, I had heard your podcast and reached out to you. You invited a phone call. And if I remember right, you were even on vacation and you were waiting for an RV that you were driving to get repaired when we had our first one-on-one -on -one conversation. Oh my gosh, I remember that. That was the year after my son graduated, my oldest son graduated high school. He was going to college. I'm like, you know, this is going to be like the last summer we're all together. So I took a month off. Here's the great thing about coaching. You can do it from the road. So I have an old pickup truck and we're towing a 30 foot RV trailer from Colorado to the East Coast and back for a month of camping. And we're in New York and I am exhausted and in Colorado, diesel is green. The handles have the green, you know, wrap around right. it. Well, in New York, green is like regular gas. I'm tired. And I go grab the green one and I fill my diesel truck with 30 gallons of unleaded gas. And I pull out of the gas station and literally within the half mile, it, it sounded like a war zone erupted from underneath my hood. And that was the most expensive tank of gas I've ever poured in my entire life. And my kids still talk about being stranded in the middle of like Hicksville, nowhere in somewhere in New York for uh, two days. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe that was six years ago, John. Yeah, time flies, doesn't it? So I'll never forget this. Here's a quick memory before we get into it. Like talk about mission critical. I have to repair a truck because it overpressurized and the turbocharger blew off, you know, the big rubber gasket that goes right. from the turbo to the, you know, the manifold. The only thing we had was a Leatherman's tool and that, that thing is so blazing hot. We laid a phone book that we had down as a heat shield with a blanket. So we, me and my two sons and like hundred, 
I don't know, 200 degree heat. It was brutal trying to repair a diesel engine on an F-250 with a Leatherman tool. I have pictures of it. I'm like smiling and my kids are like grumpy. But that was a great father-son moment, if I'm just being honest for me. I don't know if they see it that way. But anyway, folks, let me tell you a little bit about John. I'm so impressed. So you're a CPA. You have this long professional career. You get called to run. You were running Christian camps. You're like, you know what? I want to go work back with people in the financial world. The leadership challenges in that world, I understand it. They're epic, you know, from CFOs to CPAs. What I saw, though, I watched you make that transition. I watched you build a company successfully. And we were just talking about it. You got to this place where you knew that that desire of what you really wanted, what you wanted to create, the impact you want to have on people's lives became greater than your fear of making the decision to step into this and failing. And it was kind of in that moment is when you started taking action. And I got to tell you, man, I'm so proud of you for doing that because I know the impact you're having on the lives of others and everybody you're in for just, this is going to be a treat because John, you've, Now, for years, you've been working with leaders from small to very large organizations, and you just wrote a book. I was so excited to be just, uh, you know, be part of your launch and what you did, but it's called Mission Critical Leadership, How Smart Managers Lead Well in All Directions. So, uh, guys, we're going to be digging into some of the the key elements that I think are really important because what we're going to be sharing with you are what are some of those principles and ideas that you can apply, even if it's a new situation and you might not have the experience? What are some of those things that we can do in the moment that's going to help us maybe not make the best decision, but maybe make a little bit better decision that then we learn from and then make a better decision next time, right? John, it's a process. We're not going to always make the best decision, are we? Absolutely. Leadership is a journey and some of it comes by trial and error and you learn by your own mistakes. Hopefully you can also learn and fast track your learning by observing some of the mistakes that others have made. And it really is, it's a matter of building blocks as you continue to grow and develop as a leader. And hopefully as you do that, you're able to advance within the organization that you work in. Yeah. And Before we dig into that, could you share a little bit, though, about your journey? I know one of the things that has shaped you was that the decision I just referred to was, A, getting clarity on what you wanted, and then realizing that this is a decision that changes everything. And in that, right, you're choosing to leave safety and comfort of what you're doing and just honestly stepping out on faith. And could you start and share about that process for you, John? Yeah, absolutely. I go back, you mentioned my CPA career. I spent 18 years in public accounting and then sensed a a call from God to transition from that into full-time ministry. Initially worked for a very entrepreneurial, almost startup mode mission organization where the growth curve was almost straight up. And it was this wild ride. It was so fun to be a part of the maturation of that organization. And about six years into that, uh, really through a a dream that my wife had had of serving in Christian camp ministry, uh, we made that transition and served in uh, different camps and conference centers. 
all through that, this interest and passion for leadership and leadership development has, has been there. Uh, you know, having an opportunity to view it as an outsider when I was in my CPA practice, having the experience internally working for faith-based nonprofits. So that thread was always there. And I think there was always something brewing about what could I do with that passion? What could I do with that interest to be of service to others? And so it was right around the time that you and I first met where I was wrestling with, I had made the decision to go back and get a master's degree, do coaching certification. And then, uh, you know, what was it going to look like from there? And as you indicated, it was, it was a challenge because I had a really good job, was working for a great ministry, doing fundraising at the time. Let's face it, I enjoyed the comfort of having a W-2 paycheck as well as the health insurance that goes along with it, some of the other perks, and this idea of going out and launching my own business and uh, you know, really not having any of those comforts or those points of security it was a tough time of wrestling and trying to find the right timing and eventually making the decision to go forward. And I'm so glad I did when I did. You know, I think that, you know, the timing was exactly right for me to make that move. And it took a lot of faith and then the faith journey has continued along the way. Yeah. And something I talk about that I think is really important in my book is clarity. And what I mean by clarity is A, where are you at? now? And where do you want to go? Like, what does it look like one or two years? And I found that putting things into action helps refine and focus that clarity. So for people out there listening, John, that decision to make this big change, what helped you get that clarity, or I guess maybe that certainty that, you know what, you know, making another pivot was the right decision for you at that time? When you talk about clarity, I think it's uh, there's almost two sides to that coin because you mentioned having clarity about where you are, having clarity about the direction that you want to go. And I think I had you know some measure of clarity. Of course, anytime you look out into the future, it's hard to you know say that you've got 2020 vision. And so while I had some clarity around that, what I didn't have a lot of clarity, around was what it was going to take for me to get from where I was at the time to the place that I wanted to go to that ultimate vision. And I think some of our conversations, some of the groups that I was in that you facilitated helped me to understand that uh, I was going to gain that clarity as I started taking steps forward. And I know that you're familiar with Jeff Goins and you know, he had a statement or a saying around that time. He talked about that, you know, it's really out of that movement that you're going to start to gain that clarity. You can't wait for the clarity to come to you before you step out of the blocks and get into the race. And so I definitely found that to be true. And I think some of that's just the work of the Holy Spirit as we're moving down that road. We've got a sense of the direction that God wants us to go, but we don't always know what those steps are going to be you know, we start to see those and understand those more one at a time, as opposed to having a well laid out plan where you just kind of go from one to the next. I mean, we can create our own plans and I think it's good to do that, but we also have to recognize that uh, it's the Lord that's going to lead us through that process. Yeah. And what I'm hearing in this, John, and this completely relates to what we're going to be talking about in mission critical leadership, but it's really about this three-dimensional leadership leading up, 
leading around you, leading people that might report to you and also leading yourself. For us, right, the entire premise of why I wrote On Purpose With Purpose was that the leadership industry that we both stepped into, I felt is doing leaders a disservice because we focus on the why and the what and the how, and those are incredibly important. But understanding who we really are and getting rid of some of that stuff that are maybe lies that we let in as truths, maybe about how we see ourselves, maybe our beliefs, what we think our skills are. Like maybe somebody tells you, you know what, you're not really good at leading teams. You know, you're not very personable. You don't listen well. Maybe you've let some of that stuff in and that affects our ability to influence other people in a positive way, which is really a great definition of leadership. And what you did in that process just models that is understanding who you are, understanding what you want to create in your life, and then you put into action and figured out the path to connect those two dots. And it's no different when we're leading an organization. We might look at our team and go, this is not working, right? Like we've lost some of our key people. There's some gossip going on. People don't really know how to deal with conflict very well. It just feels like the kind of the whole, like we've lost our mojo going through the last year and a half. And like, how do I connect back to actually creating this healthy, thriving organization. In my opinion, it starts with yourself as the leader. And John, what have you found kind of in that for yourself? There's no question. You're 100% right on that, John. And I I know that we're completely aligned around that. All leadership starts with self-leadership. If you want to lead others, you first need to learn how to lead yourself well. And I often describe that as your biggest leadership challenge. It can be much more challenging to lead yourself than others because you have to come to grips with some of the challenges around that. You know, you got to know your strengths. You have to know your struggles, the blind spots. You know, where do you have those signature strengths where you can really shine? You know, where is it that you play into that sweet spot as opposed to the barriers that uh, you have to come against and you have to overcome. So there's no question that self-leadership is the, at the core of, of all leadership. And I found it really interesting. D. Hawk, who was the founder of the Visa organization, once said that all leaders should spend 50% of their time and energy investing first in leading themselves before they start investing any of their resources in leading others. And that speaks well to just how important that self-leadership is. And, you know, that was true for me as well on the journey, that self-awareness and self-awareness more than just the type of self-awareness we talk about in the context of emotional intelligence, but really that holistic, you know, understanding that foundation that you're working from, your own vision, purpose, your mission, your values, How does that shape the way that you lead and the direction that you're headed? Because ultimately, that's going to have a bearing on the people that you lead with and the people that you lead in terms of your team within an organizational setting. Well, yeah, because you know what? I think one of the big felt needs that I am seeing with my clients right now is say, how do I develop leaders in my organization? Because oftentimes, especially in today's employment environment, right? We're kind of stretched a little bit thin. And maybe I'm really good at software 
right? Managing a software, you know, development part or project. So they're like, hey, we need somebody to like supervise the other people in software. And like, I've never been in a leadership role before. Now you promote me, right? You have to have the ability as a leader to influence me and help me develop the leadership skills, the personal skills. If we haven't done that for ourselves, we are not going to be able to effectively do that for our peers, our even like leading up, I think is a, a very important thing, right? Help our boss get better, how to be a great follower. Right. So when we're talking about leading self, John, you know, with people you've worked with, what have you found is a great place to start? I think just a, a clear understanding, I call it your personal foundation, and it's uh, coming to an understanding. It's more of a discovery process than I think it is a decision process, because I really believe that we have been, you know, in a sense, charged or called or infused with vision and purpose and mission and values. And when you start to gain a better understanding of all of those components of that personal foundation, you've got a much better understanding of the direction that you're headed, your own leadership style, if you will, some of your principles and the priorities that you use in your leadership. And uh, you take that and add together an understanding of just your unique wiring and how you've been created with certain strengths and interests and passions. Along with those, of course, comes the flip side, some of the struggles that might come along with that. And as you start to figure that out, you start building a better understanding of who you are as a leader, what it's going to take for you to lead from your strengths, to try to overcome some of the struggles that you might have and work through those challenges to lead yourself well, and then see how that translates into how you lead others. Yeah, I love that. And, and, you know, at this time in your career, as you've been working with more and more leaders, you know, what prompted you to kind of pull all your thoughts together into, you know, this book for this time? The seeds really were planted for this uh, book, Mission Critical Leadership, when I was in my Master's of Organizational Leadership program. And one of the projects that we did was like a composite 360 evaluation. It was part of a bigger project, but uh, that was a significant uh, undertaking. And I gained some understanding of my own leadership and leading in these different directions, as you said, leading upward to my superiors, leading across among my peers, leading my own team. And of course, all of that produces some insights about self-leadership as well. And so I found that really fascinating because I don't think most leadership development has that kind of focus in all directions. You know, most leadership development is focused singularly on how to be a good boss. And don't get me wrong, that's absolutely crucial. But if that's all you see and when you see leadership, it's really an incomplete view and could set you up to fail in some ways as a leader in an organization. And so that concept, that paradigm, if you will, just took uh, root. And I saw some resonance with that as I turned that into some training and some speaking opportunities that I had. And then it was really a, a full day training session that I did with one of my healthcare clients that ultimately got me to thinking, yeah, this really needs to turn into a book. It was a 
healthcare organization where they were dealing with a lot of turnover. The director of that organization, uh, the, the campus that she was directing, had one of the, the worst rates of turnover. And her comment to me was, John, you know, I think you can help us. You know, we got to figure out this whole turnover thing. If we don't do anything else, that's got to be our top priority. And so we, uh, we worked on this training that was a launch point for a year-long campaign for that campus to reduce turnover. And it was really fun to see how bringing all their leadership together where we weren't just talking about leading well in all directions, but each of those leaders was in the same room with people that they had to lead horizontally or lead across with and lead up to superiors. And that took hold. They made a significant dent in their turnover. In fact, they went from well, one of the What are some things that they did, John? Because I, I know they're you know, if you actually look at just across employees right now, there's a lot of people that are, you know, those people that are about to turn over, right? Or they're, I think I saw something from, I think it was either Indeed or Monster, one of the job boards, like 83% of employees right now today in this environment are either actively looking or they're open to other jobs. And what you're talking about doing is actually changing, talk about mission critical, because think about even a $50,000 employee, I think the cost for replacement, hard and soft costs, you know, I've heard numbers from, depends on how you calculate it, but from 1.5 to 2.2 X, let's just, I mean, you're talking significant impact to not only the hard cost, but also the productivity, you're bringing new people onto the team, you have to get them up to speed. Mm. Turnover is, in creating a culture that addresses that is absolutely mission critical. But what are some things that you were able to do? Well, I think part of it was starting with just basic leadership training. And what does it mean to be a leader? Not just a boss, but to be a leader. And how do you express that leadership with your team? How do you build engagement with each of your team members to the point where, you know, they don't come in dragging their feet to go to work, but they're actually excited about the work that they do. They're excited about the people that they work with. So that team focus, and then also thinking about that the horizontal leadership, you know, how do you lead among a peer groups? You know, you have department leaders that need to figure out how to work well together, because oftentimes that's a big point of frustration too, where, People, uh, you know, they see those silos develop and that gets frustrating in terms of leadership. And there's a sense of, okay, I'm not gonna be able to accomplish what I want here. Maybe I need to jump ship and go somewhere else. So, you know, finding ways to build that alignment and that synergy among teams. And what it takes is the leaders of those teams to come together for the greater good of the organization. And so the training really was that launch point, opening up a lot of the conversations, creating some common language, some common understanding or context for leadership, and then just turning that into an ongoing conversation. I really believe that one of the biggest step forward that you can take in terms of leadership development in an organization is getting your leaders talking more among each other and with each other about what does it take to be effective as a leader? You know, what do we do, you know, kind of a boots on the ground standpoint, you know, the actual tactics and behaviors and habits that create effective leadership and develop a healthy culture. And when you get people talking and you turn that into the culture of the organization, you start to see that leadership develop from within. Well, yeah. And I think, 
you know, you and I both facilitated a lot of conversations, just even asking a group, which forces them to think and apply all their experiences, conferences they've been to, books that they've read, their training, their education, their one-on-one interactions with their team who they know well. Hey, what would more effective leadership even look like, folks? How would we know we're even doing it? How would it show up in our people? And then start to talk about what are some things that we can do as a team hold each other accountable. What could we cast a vision for what could be? And then together as a group, start working toward that. You start out with some conversations like that with a team. I've seen things dramatically change. And you know what? The woman who hired you, having you come in and just starting to have these conversations after you were done working, what happened with their turnover rates? They made a significant reduction, and I don't remember the exact percentages of where they were at, but their goal had been to reduce their turnover percentage by 10% over the next 12 months. And that executive director said that's priority one over the next 12 months is to get that turnover percentage down. And I had made a note and I told her, I said, I'm going to check in with you when the year is up to see what happened. And they actually reduced their turnover by 15 percentage points and went from one of the worst campuses in their organization to one of the better ones as far as that turnover rate was concerned. And I really attribute it to the fact that they use that experience as a launch point to continue those conversations, to keep that issue hot and in front of people. And like you said, John, the ongoing conversations, you know, some of these ideas are not exactly rocket science. And I'm sure you've heard in some of your facilitation too, I, I still remember in one setting where the conversation turned to, what are some ways that we can help our team members know that we appreciate them? Are we doing a good enough job to help our team members know that they're appreciated? And you know, some of the conversations were around thank you notes and doing you know, just even little silly kinds of things that would show appreciation that uh, didn't cost a lot of money. It wasn't like paying out big bonuses or anything like that. They were relatively simple ideas where they could show genuine appreciation for their team members and just how far that goes in terms of building that engagement. Now, and here's a question for you. So you've mentioned Mission Critical and Rocket. Is there I got to ask because, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm an aviation and NASA buff. Is there some foundational pieces behind your title? Yeah, there absolutely uh, is. And it was interesting in the, the whole journey of establishing a title was, uh, you know, there's an interesting backstory to all of that. But I find that I use that term mission critical quite often. And I think it's just because out of my leadership experience, especially in the faith-based nonprofit world, I was just really in tune with the mission. What is it that we're doing and the behaviors, the patterns and the habits that were mission critical to get there? And part of my definition, the, the way I define mission critical leadership means accelerating the organization faster and further toward its mission. Then there was the space-related examples. And I started out with just a couple of them We talk often about vision, and I use John F. Kennedy's moon speech back in 1961 as my prototype for vision, because there was vision with a deadline. He said, by the end of this decade, you know, the idea of landing a man on the moon and bringing him back safely to Earth, 
but it was by the end of this deadline that created a sense of urgency. And so that's always been a part of my training when I talk about establishing vision. And then there were just a number of other examples that came up. And as we talked about those examples, my publisher and editor and I realized that there was a common thread. And you talked earlier about you know when the stakes are high, well, when you're talking space exploration, the stakes are high. It's a matter of life and death. And not everyone that's listening to the interview, the podcast today is leading in a life and death environment, but I can assure you that the stakes are high for some of the reasons that you mentioned earlier. And so it was really fun for me to do additional research. And in addition to some of the more familiar stories from the space age and even more current space exploration, find some of the more obscure stories that still brought about some significant lessons. Yeah, and this framework, this paradigm, this, you know, really kind of three, you know, actually it's four-dimensional leadership, yourself, up, across, and down. What makes this maybe different from some other things as leaders that, you know, we've explored or, or worked in before? I really think the biggest difference is just, as I said earlier, it's the fact that so much leadership development is focused downstream. It's focused on how to be a good boss. And if you, uh, you know, if you get on Amazon, for example, and you type in leadership, I think, you know, recently I did that and it was like 60,000 something responses. And so there's not a lack of information out there about leadership, but there's very little that you see that focuses on these other directions of leadership. And, you know, you mentioned upward leadership and how important that is. If you think about that, you know, almost every person starts out having to lead up before they're ever going to get an opportunity to lead down and be a boss to their own team. And the reality is, very few people get to be the top dog in their organization. And even if you get to that title of CEO, you know, there's a good chance that uh, you're going to report to a board of directors, or if you're in a professional services firm, it might be a board of partners, you know, you're still going to have that upward leadership. And so, you know, you think about the person that really wants to accelerate and advance within an organization you've got to be able to lead upward to your boss. There's no person that's got more impact on your career trajectory and you know, even your own job satisfaction. So you know, getting an understanding of that. And then as you start to ascend and as you start to get advanced into other positions, you think about those relationships with your peers. How do you work together when you have some of your initiatives that you want to push forward where you're dependent on other teams. Well, that's going to require relationships of influence because, John, if you and I are department leaders in the organization at a peer level, I can't just come in and say, John, you've got to do this or that because I told you so. You know, you've got the ability to get this done or I'm going to tell your boss or I'm going to have my boss tell your boss. Well, then that doesn't really create a lot of really good collaboration. Yeah, that uh, you you might have to go there, but that's a last resort, you know? Exactly. And I think that's true of any direction. When you rely on role power, that's only going to get you so far. So, you know, really leadership is about developing that trust and that influence and finding ways to engage with the people that you're working with. So, you know, in that, uh, just to share with everybody, I've had, in probably some of you guys have right now that difficult boss, the one that's just, you don't enjoy working for. 
And when I was in the military, one of the things that was just kind of modeled for me, because connecting, you know, I think our purpose to the purpose of the organization, the mission is very important. But I always saw it as my role is to help the leaders that I was reporting to succeed, right? And it, honestly, showing up as an ambassador for Christ in that organization, you know what? I saw it as a responsibility, just mm, to be frank. Mm -hmm. And in that, some of the things that I had to learn about myself is why is it that this person or their style or how they interact is just so difficult for me? And then I started thinking about what is the reason that this person is showing up that way? You know, maybe there's stuff about, cause I, like I had my own challenges that I've had to work through. What if they're working through some stuff? What if they've trusted their team in the past and totally got burned and had to leave an organization? So, and they, that's probably not something they're just going to come out and share, but you know what, what if building trust for some people is really a slow process? It was always my goal to build a relationship, even with those very difficult people, where at least maybe I could go give them some feedback. So let's just say you and I were sideways and I'm working for you. And I could just, I could kind of own it though, from a kind of a place of humility and say, John, listen, this could totally be me. But is there something I could share with you that I think would help me serve you and the team better? Remember, this could be something that's totally me, but when this happens or you do this, Man, I just, it really, like, it just weighs on me. I think about it, and I'd really like to get a, to a better place. Would you be okay having a conversation around that? What I have found is most people are pretty open to a conversation like that if you frame it correctly. But that is a powerful example of leading up because it's us acknowledging in our head that, guess what, maybe that leader has a blind spot. Maybe they're not just a jerk to be a jerk. Maybe they don't realize, because I've gotten feedback in my career at certain times, like, no, John, you are coming across as a total jack wagon to certain people. I'm like, I am. No, I'm not. Come on. <laughs> right. Because that was counter to how I not only wanted to see myself, but right. saw myself. But the person that gave me that feedback, who's somebody I, I respected, made me at least consider it. And I realized, you know what, what if there's some truth in there? And so I started proactively trying to, and this was more leading, you know, across to peers with certain people I got along famously, right? They were kind of like, you know, the people I, you know, would want to go have a beer with, right? And other people, I was either kind of sarc sarcastic or dismissive. I never really made fun of people because I, I never liked that mode, but I think being a great follower is the key to great leadership. And the way you describe that, John, the, the type of interaction with a, a boss in that case, I like to say you need to be respectfully candid. And that does emphasize the humility that you mentioned. And, you know, there's that opportunity where you go in, not just, uh, you know, full on, a confrontational style, but really understanding that uh, you may not know the whole picture. And so it's the invitation and you really only get there. You only get that right to do that by building trust with your boss. In fact, the first step that I have in the book on in the chapter on upward leadership is that you need to build unwavering trust with your boss, because if your boss has that unwavering trust in you, 
you know, he or she is going to be able to have that conversation where you might bring bad news, you might be, you know, sharing some blind spots or some aspects of your boss's leadership that they don't realize and the, the impact that they might be having. And so I think that's, uh, you know, that's really crucial. And it's easy to fail in one direction or the other on that. There are some that are respectful, but to the point of being so deferential that they can't bring up the challenges and some of the, you know, the hard conversation. And then there are others who are air toward the candid side and, and they are, they're more of that bull in the China shop and, you know, they're going to go in and they're going to let the boss know exactly what they feel. And that doesn't always land well with the boss either. I agree. I really do. So, hey, guys, the book is Mission Critical Leadership. And John has something special for everybody here. If you guys go to missioncriticalleadership.com, there's a button right there. You can get the first chapter of the book. There's some just incredible stories and some tools right in there that you can start to apply right away. In addition to that, John, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, that same page, John, if you go down, uh, the button that you mentioned is an orange button, a third of the way down, you get that free chapter, you go down the page a little further, there's a second orange button, and that'll put you into contact with me. I also maintain a fairly regular presence on LinkedIn. So if you reach out with a connection request, I'll be glad to connect. And I share uh, some of my own content and curate content from others as well. Yeah, you do a great job with that. And just as we kind of wrap up, what is just maybe a, a key thought to leave with everybody? I think the other aspect of mission critical leadership that we haven't dove into, but you mentioned earlier, it's really both building results, or I say building relationships and delivering results. Those are the two R's of leadership that I talk about in the book. You've got to be able to do both. And if you err too much in one direction or the other, your leadership becomes lopsided and you're not going to be as effective. It's going to be hard for you to advance. So it's knowing again, how you're wired and what your natural strengths are and how do you complement those strengths either with help from others or by applying some additional uh, strengths that you might have. But just understanding that as a leader, you've got to do both build relationships and deliver results. Awesome. Build relationships, deliver results focus on leading yourself first, that is going to magnify the influence you have in all those other spheres of leadership. So John, thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for coming on. And folks, just take a small step today toward just improving your ability to influence. And just pick one of those areas that you think for you would make the biggest impact maybe on just your ability to do your job well, enjoy life a little bit more, and then you'd be amazed that you start stringing these little, these small steps together, what can happen. All right, with that, buddy, have a great one. You are welcome back anytime. Thanks, John. Enjoy the conversation. <laughs>